0: Uh, If you're visiting with us, we're in a series here called The Bible, The Whole Bible and Nothing But The Bible. And last week I made uh, reference to the American Bible Society and this report that they uh, commissioned by the Barna Group to study people's views on the Bible. And in 2013, they came out with what they called the State of the Bible Report. It's super interesting. You got to go home uh, today and Google it and read it. it. It's lengthy. It's a long report, but it's super interesting. I think you would, uh, you know, get a lot out of it. And one of the questions they asked was, what is your favorite Bible verse? And the answer is John 3.16. That's right. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever would put their trust in him, whoever would surrender their life to him, wouldn't perish, but they'd have eternal life. And you know, when you, when you see a, a passage like that, you, you kinda understand why that might become somebody's favorite Bible verse because it really does capture the essence of, of the scriptures. Um, I began to think about my own you know favorite Bible verse and certainly there was a season in my life, I think, when that was my favorite Bible verse. But I began to think, you know, what is my favorite Bible verse? Or what is my life verse? Maybe a better way of looking at it. And, you know, I think it's changed throughout the years. But I always tend to come back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he said, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, whatever it is, do it all to the glory of God. And that, that's a, a passage that I, I think uh, has been kind of a life verse for me. And 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 I thought about you, do, do, do you have one? Now don't yell it out or anything like that, but do you have a passage that for whatever reason, whether you've known the Lord a week, a month, a year, a decade or two, that you say, you know what, for whatever reason, this passage right here has, has been very meaningful to me, or my family, or whatever. And it's kind of your, your favorite verse, or it might be your your, your life verse? And if you don't have one, I challenge you. Maybe think about that. What, what verse of scripture d- d- would you say would be your life verse? Now, another question they asked was, what is your favorite book in the Bible? Which is a whole, way different. And so what, what do you think the favorite book was? John, no? It was the book of Psalms. I would have thought John too. But the book of Psalms was, uh, more people said the book of Psalms was their favorite book. And once again, I started thinking about my own, you know, favorite book. And I think it changes depending on what book I might be reading at at that time. And there's lots of, of great books. And then what I did was I said, okay, what if I was, you know, Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks and I'm you know, stranded on that island you know, for five years, you know, cast away, and I only had one book of the Bible and I had to read it over and over and over and over again. What, what book would I, would I want? And I chose John. I thought, you know what? If, if I'm stuck on a deserted island, that's the one book that I think I could, you know, would like to read over and over and over again. How about you? You got, you, got a, you got a favorite book that, you know, for whatever reason, whenever you read it, whenever you go through it, the Lord uses it in a special way to encourage you or convict you or whatever all, all that might be. Here are some other questions that were in the survey, okay? And um, see if you see how well you do here. Can you name the first five books of the Bible now, you, if you've been here at all over the last, you know, month, you ought to be able to nail this. Because every week, I take you back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books of the Bible. And by the way, in the survey, 61% of practicing Protestants got that right. 61% of practicing Protestants were able to identify the first books. Five books of the Bible. Here was another question. See if you get this one right. True or false? Noah was married to Joan of Arc. <laughs> it was a real question that they had on the deal. Well, obviously that's false. And if, if you're here and you're wondering why people are laughing, you, you, you probably would have got, got it wrong, right? You know, uh, 78% of practicing Protestants got that question. Right, okay, so there was a small percentage who thought, yeah, that makes sense, you know. (laughs) He named the boat after her or something. I don't know, I I don't know. Loving thing to do. How about this? This was another question on the survey. Did Sodom and Gomorrah ever get married? (laughs) And some of you are going, well, yeah, of course they did. Jesus was there. He uh, turned some wine into a, you know, water into wine at that thing, didn't he? Uh, the answer is no. They are cities, not not people. Now, 64% of practicing Protestants got that one, you know, right. Okay, now they're getting a little tougher in terms of how people answered them, anyway. Number four was the Apostle Paul also known as Saul. Yeah. Huh. The answer is yes. He was. And only 55% of practicing Protestants got that one right. How about this one? Here's another one they asked. Was John the Baptist one of the original 12 disciples? No, he he wasn't. And only 48% of practicing Protestants got that one right. And obviously you can go, well, John, you know, John, didn't he write one of the books of the Bible and and all of that? And probably the more mature you are in the Lord, you, you probably got that one right. I've told you each week, you know, you got these... 39 books that are in the old Testament. I've told you that in my opinion, the, the most important chapters of the Bible are chapters one, two, and three of Genesis. If you don't know those first three chapters, I want you to know the rest of the book the rest of those 39 books aren't gonna make a whole lot of sense. The 27 books in the New Testament aren't gonna make a whole lot of sense. You need to know Genesis one, two, and three, and I challenge you to go home. Maybe every day this week, read those chapters, and they tell us how God wanted everything to be, and then we get to see about sin in chapter three, and how sin kind of ruined everything. The theme of the Old Testament, when you get past Genesis three is, the Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. That's the theme of the Old Testament, is that the Messiah is going to come. The Savior is going to come. Jesus is going to come. Then you get to the New Testament, and there are 27 books in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John ends with Revelation. And the theme of the New Testament is, is that Jesus has come. The Messiah has come, right? Right? And I, you know, if it was up to me or, you know, my opinion in this, obviously, is that the theme of the entire Bible is Jesus. Jesus is. You see Jesus in every single book of the Bible, and that includes the Old Testament. Now, you don't read his name in the Old Testament. People in the Old Testament didn't know his name was going to be Jesus necessarily. They just knew the Messiah would come, the Savior would would come. And so Old Testament theme, he's coming. New Testament theme, he came. The theme of the entire Bible is Jesus. We've learned that God is the author of all 66 of these books, the 39 books in the Old Testament and the 27 books in the New Testament. Our our, theme verse might've been 2 Timothy chapter three that says all scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed those 39 books in the Old Testament, those 27 books in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon the writers, you know, Moses or Ezekiel or or Jeremiah or Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul. The Holy Spirit came upon those men in a supernatural way and they had God had them pin the very words he wanted pinned. Now they they wrote those words in their own personalities and things like that, but God is the author of all of the books in the scripture. So now what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to today's Bible quiz and we're gonna go live over in the venue and Pastor Brandon's gonna lead you guys over there so you guys can win a few prizes there and uh, we'll have our Bible quiz here, okay? So this is just to kinda get you warmed up here a little bit. Here here we go. Which of the following was not a king? Herod, Solomon, Saul, or Samuel? Don't don't yell out the answer. I want everybody here to kinda think about that for a second. Of the following who was not a king? The answer is Samuel. Samuel was not a king, okay? Question number two. Put the following in order in which they lived. Solomon, Abraham, David, and Noah. I want you to put them in kind of chronological order, if you will. Who goes where? The, this one here, yeah, I like, I, yeah, you're talking. That's good. That's good, isn't it? That's a good thing. The answer is Noah, Abraham, David, and Solomon. Okay? Uh, question number three. This one's tough. This one's really tough. Uh, who buried Abraham? Who buried Abraham? The Bible tells us in Genesis 25, that it was Isaac and Ishmael. They are the two who buried Abraham. Now we get to everybody's favorite part of the sermon. You get a chance to win a prize. Okay. And they only have two today. So what we're going to do is we're going to split this thing in half right down the middle here and over you get to answer the first question. Okay. And uh, what what, what I got here is this really great book. It's called The Pocket Guide to the Bible, how we know it can be trusted. And it's a really great book. Plus you get a, a coffee and you gotta know the verse. You gotta know the verse. No smartphones, you know, you type in the keyword, none of that, no cheating. Cheaters never prosper. Is that in the Bible? No, but it's pretty good. No, okay, so okay, you don't find that in the Bible, but it's a, not, not, a bad, not a bad thing. So cheaters never prosper, okay? You gotta know the, 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 the scriptures, okay? And don't be afraid to stand up and just say it, just own it. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. Last night, right over here, <laughs> there was a, just a young kid and he pops up, then he pops down. And I go, well, do, do you have the answer? Nothing, he wasn't gonna open his mouth. And then somebody up there answers the question. And I looked at that young man and I said, was that the answer you had? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> he, but he was afraid. He thought I was gonna flog him or, or, or something, you know, but there's no flogging, this is a no-flog zone. So here, here we go, are you ready, here we go. You gotta have the right, you gotta, right verse. You gotta have the verse and everything. You gotta have it right. Um, what verse in the Bible says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now, I know you know what book it is, but what's the actual verse? The actual verse, okay? The actual verse. I know most of you know the chapter. You're just going, what What was the verse? Yeah, you're looking, 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 looking. There you go, 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 go. Anybody? I'm only gonna give you a second more. Anybody got the, right there. Oh, geez, this this is a sermon. Okay, <laughs> I just, uh. Uh, John. Yeah. Uh, nah. eee, eee, eee. you're starting to read the whole chapter. Yeah, I want the actual verse. You only got one shot at it. That's what you got. What is the verse? No, it's not John three, seven. No, three seven. Okay. No, no. Uh, no. It's just this section here. We're going to have a fight breakout. It is not John three, five. What three, three is the right answer. Look in your Bibles. John three, three. That's where you read that. Okay, man, this got crazy. Security team. I want the security team up here right now. Get up here. If you see a little red laser on me or whatever. All right, now look that's too close. Yeah, it's too close. I want you to run around the thing, burn some calories. Let everybody know what they lost, what they could have won here. Okay, get loose. You've been, you've been bloating up, man. Get, up, get going. Get going. Run a little bit. Burn some calories. All right. I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you might see some other verbs or pronouns or whatever in there, but you, that was the verse. Okay, here we go. Now, we're on this section over here. That's a rowdy crowd. I like this. Uh, oh, this is God's Word Made Plain. Great, great book. It takes a lot of the theological things in scripture and makes it really super easy. Uh, okay, what verse in the Bible says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even if he dies. John, right back there, right back there, I see a hand. John 11, You got it, John eleven twenty-five. <laughs> Nicely done. Right. You going? <laughs> I got about six people over here who have tuned me out now. They're angry. <laughs> I'm telling you, you blew that one. All right, how about this question? How many days last week did you have a chance to read your Bible? And it's not a question to bum anybody out or whatever. Just, I want you to stop and think about it. You can get going in life so fast that all of a sudden you're sitting here right now going, you know what, I never opened up the word one time this past week. Some of you had a great week, all seven days. You had a time in the morning and time at night and you had a great week. You were in the word all week, but I at least want you to have to wrestle around with that. Did you have a chance, those of you that named the name of Jesus? Did you get into the, the word? How about this? Did you try to memorize a verse in the Bible this last week? One of the things that I, uh, I like about modern technology is that people can you know, get a hold of you, email you right now. And it's kind of fun to see in the emails. Pastor Rick, here's a verse I'm trying to memorize. Would you pray for me? It's the first time I've ever tried to memorize a verse. And I want you to know that just brings me great joy because I know it brings the Lord great joy that you would say, I'm, I, I honor this to the degree that I'm gonna try to actually memorize a piece of it. How about this? Do you have your Bibles with you right now? Everybody raise your, raise your swords up. Come on, let me see them. You got your Bible right now? Yeah, yeah, here's the deal. Listen, folks. Um, because I understand the, the culture that we live in uh, I always put the jumbotrons up on the screen because there's lots of people who come here and they don't have Bibles. Some of you don't have a Bible. You don't own one. You're not even sure whether it's real or not or really, whether it really is God's Word. And Well, I want you to see it for yourself, and so I put it up here so that you can see it. But for those of you that have your Bibles, it's not an excuse not to bring it. You see, you need to have your sword with you so that if there's something that goes on, you can write it down or wh- whatever might be going on. Yesterday at uh, four o'clock, I had a meeting in the altar room with a, a gal who was uh, grew up here at this church. She was in my youth ministry. Uh, she met a guy named Keith, and she ends up getting married to him. He's a doctor, and Keith and Lisa Campbell, and I met with both of them, and he, uh, he has a practice down in Bakersfield, and they've sensed that maybe the Lord would want them to use their gifts and talents and ability out on the mission field, and so they both decided that they were going to you know, take their whole family, got three kids, and they were going to join a missions organization called Wycliffe Bible Translators, and what they do is... is Wycliffe, the translators go into all over the world, they wouldn't do it here, but they go all over the world, and they find people groups, villages, things like that, where there is no written language, they have no alphabet, which means they don't have a copy of the Word of God. And so what they do is they go in and they begin the process of developing a language or developing a, you know, an alphabet. And, and then what they do is, and they begin to translate and write for the very first time a piece of the Word of God. Sometimes it might only be a chapter of the Bible. Sometimes it might just be the book of John. And so, th- and that could take 10, 20 years to accomplish. And that's what Whitecliffe Bible translators do. In fact, I want to show you something they gave me. Come on up here, Bobby. They gave me this uh, thing here, and for those of you that are younger, you're gonna go, what is that? This is old school, how you used to print things on a printer. And the only reason why I have it like this is so you can see an illustration. But when you see a line going across there, that's one people group, okay? And, And it tells me where they're at and how many people live in that little village. For some, it might be 500, for some, it might be 12,000. Others, it might be a million people. And I just want you to kind of get a, get a sense of how many people groups are in the planet, on the planet, who they do not have a written language, which means they do not have a copy of the Word of God. There's one people group on every single one of of you know going across those those sheets of paper thousands and thousands of people all over the planet they do not have a written language which means they do not have a copy of the word of god and when they finally do get a copy of the word of god a lot of times they just they just weep that they now have maybe just one book of the bible that they can read the the word of God in their own language for the very first time. And when I was meeting with them and I saw this sheet of paper and stuff, I just thought, man, I don't even get that. I don't even know what that means. I don't know how that would feel. I've never walked into my office and seen the Bible and just started to weep about it. Because I've got 30 of them. Some of you, you know what, you came in here today, oh, when I went, do you have your word? Oh, it's, I left it in my car. Ah, I left it at home. See, we have just grown up, you know, in a culture where we got more Bibles than we know what to do with. And so we can lose this, the, the perspective of just how, how blessed we are as a people to have a copy of the word of God that we can read in our own language, and I hope that somehow as we go through this series, that we're all falling in love um, more and more with the, the Word of God. The most famous sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount, and at the end of the sermon, Jesus tells a story about two men that went out and they built homes, but they built their homes on different foundations. And it says this in Matthew chapter 7 and in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus said that would be the Bible. Anybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock, on the scriptures. But everyone who hears these words of mine, who hears the scriptures, and they don't put it into practice, ah, it's an old book, it's irrelevant. This is the 21st century, you kidding me? Who who believes in that anymore? Hey, look, I don't take my cue from, from an old book like that. They hear it, but they decide they don't want to live by it. It's like a foolish man, Jesus said, who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And that house fell with a great crash. A simple little story that if you've got a half a cell working, you get it, right? You get it. The imagery is just, just really clear. Whether you believe in God or you believe in the scriptures, doesn't matter. You understand the story. And if you're here and you don't believe in God and you're a construction worker, you understand the principle of how important it is to have a great foundation. Jesus is telling us something super important here. He's telling us that the key to a strong house is to make sure it's built on the right foundation so that when the rains come and the rivers rise and the wind blows against the house, when it's all said and done, that house is gonna be standing. Oh, you may have to replace a window. There may be a door off the hinge. Maybe you gotta replace a few shingles. In other words, the storms of life will, 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 will damage the house to some degree, but those are easy fixes. It's the guy who chooses not to build their home on a great foundation. When those same winds and rains come and winds blow, there's way more damage than just a broken window. There's way more damage than just a few, you know, uh, tiles coming off the roof. It's a total disaster. And the same thing is true in your personal life, or your 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 marriage. You have to build it on the right foundation. Otherwise, when the storms of life come, and they will come, you got trouble. See, I believe one of the biggest reasons people or Christians get all goofed up in their lives or their businesses or their marriages is because they haven't built their lives or their businesses or their marriages on the right foundation. The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible which means they're unprepared for the inevitable storms that are gonna come into their lives or marriages. Jesus said this in John chapter 16. He said, in this world, you will have troubles. In this world, storms are going to come. The rain is gonna come. The rivers are gonna rise. The wind is gonna blow. It's one of the uh, uh, standard equipments of, of life, troubles. And due to the marriage conference on Friday, I decided to kind of make this into a little bit of a marriage message, if you will. Jesus is telling us, look, you as an individual, storms are gonna come, and when you choose to marry somebody, guess what? You just doubled up on the storms. (laughs) Because they're gonna have storms too. Jesus didn't say that, you know, in this world you will have troubles unless you get married, and then they all go away. No. He said, you're gonna have troubles. And when you marry somebody else, now two people just came together. And now you got a whole you know, cadre full of, of, of troubles. And that truth right there, that truth that Jesus said, that promise that Jesus makes every one of us, he promises us, you are going to have troubles. You are going to experience storms in your life, in your business, in your marriage. That truth alone ought to drive us to make sure we, we got the right foundation, Christian. Because he tells us troubles are gonna come. Storms are gonna come. They're gonna happen. And because he promised us that, boy, we, we all ought to you know, take a step back and say, what am I building my life on? What am I building my marriage on? What am I building my business on? What are the principles that I'm allowing to kind of dictate my uh, my, my life. So, so what I want to do is I'm going to give you three different storms that are going to come into your life, three different storms that will come into your business, maybe. Certainly, they're going to come into your marriage, and the first one is this. You need to be prepared for the culture storms, the culture storms that are going to come. The Bible tells us that our culture is going to get crazier and crazier and crazier the closer we get to the return of Christ. Now, I don't know when that is. Every generation thinks it's their generation. I don't know when Jesus is coming back again. I know that we're seven days closer than when we were last Sunday. But I don't know when he's coming. And anybody who tells you, oh, here's the date, I want you to pull out your smartphones and I want you to mark that date down because that ain't the date. Just, okay, that ain't the date. <laughs> because nobody knows. And there's always somebody out there, there's always some false prophet some false teacher who will give you a date. And the last guy that was out there, Harold Campion, he, he really duped a lot of people and a lot of Christians went out and sold their homes and sold all their stock and their businesses and got rid of everything because he, he gave you a date. And it didn't happen. The Bible says we don't know when Jesus is going to come back again. We don't know. We just know he's going to come back. But he does tell us life is going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. Culture is going to change. Things are just going to get wacko. In fact, listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, they'll come to church, they'll walk around with a Bible. They'll even throw some money into an offering basket. But they will reject the power. They'll reject Christ, in other words, that could make them godly. The one who actually transforms lives. Stay away from people like that. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like today. You could open up the front page of the Modesto B or whatever, and boy, that sure seems like today. My point isn't to read that to say that see, the Lord's coming back. I I don't know, I I don't know when he's coming back. All I know is we're living in some crazy times right now. The culture is really um, changed in my 50 plus years of being on planet Earth. I wish I had time to go through all of these things that Paul said, but let, let, let me touch base on three of them. Okay, these are three things that'll mess up your life and or your marriage or whatever. And the first one is humanism. Humanism, the the me first attitude, will mess up your life or your marriage. Paul said, for people will love only themselves. They'll love themselves. Narcissist sticks. You know, so we can get the, the thing out, so I can get the selfie just a little bit farther out because, you know, I got to get my best view. I mean, this isn't good enough. I, I really got to get it out here. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with taking a selfie, but you know what? It, it's kind of a crazy concept when you think about it, especially when you take a <laughs> selfie of just you. Not like it's just you and a buddy that you happen to have dinner with, or hey, I just want to see you. This is a friend of mine, but it's just you. That's just kinda, it's kinda weird when you, when you kinda boil it down. And then you take it and then you post it. So everybody sees just you. Like people are waiting around going, oh man, woo! Woo! Man! Got to see a picture of them. They're so important. I just wanted to, you know, I, and, and just this whole, Culture. I was at a bookstore in Barnes and Noble, and they had a whole rack of magazines. And one of the magazines that always makes me laugh is it's, it's entitled Self. <laughs> it's just, hey, you know, they're not trying to fool anybody. Hey, hey, Self. That's what that's what matters, you know. Humanism is the desire to put me first. It's the attitude of I got to do what's best for me. It, humanism is is basically something that says I want what I want and when I want it. And when you have this attitude, your life's going to get messed up and certainly your marriage is going to be messed up. When you get married, me self has to become we. It's us. You got to say what's best for us. When I'm counseling a married couple and one of them says, you know, you know, we're just incompatible. That's code word for I'm selfish. I'm not willing to change. We're just incompatible, you see. I'm not gonna change. I'm not gonna do it. Which means your marriage is, is gonna be a mess. Number two, materialism will mess up your life or marriage. This is money first attitude. Paul says people will love only themselves and their money, their stuff, their things. It's unbelievable how many lives and marriages have been ruined because of materialism. You, you bought things you couldn't afford, which then led you to become so overcommitted and overextended, trying to keep up with all the payments and the bills that you just didn't have time for any, you know, for each other anymore. But you, you, you got the ShamWow, you know, you got the thing, you got with the thing that you bought got a whole package of those somewhere. But to make all the payments, you know, you couldn't go out and have dinner anymore. You couldn't go out and do those things anymore because you're, you're just making five easy payments. And three easy payments here and nine easy payments there. And I just wish one company would be truthful and say, "No, listen, you buy this right now, I want you to know, you're gonna make 10 really difficult payments. Oh, thank you. With the, oh, it's easy. Easy payments. that big? <laughs> well, I don't have the money. Well, I got this plastic thing. It doesn't matter whether I got the money or not. <laughs> it's crazy. Isn't it crazy some of the stuff we've fallen into? The, 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 these are storms that will hit your life. This culture storm of, of me first or materialism. I think one of the great examples of how materialism affects a marriage is this thing called the prenuptial agreement. I saw this B.C. cartoon where B.C. is looking up the definition of prenuptial agreement in the dictionary, and this is what it says. Quote, a prenuptial agreement is an agreement between two people who love each other almost as much as they love their possessions. (laughs) Now here's the deal. Look, some of you getting ticked. I I, I understand that there's a time and a place for a prenuptial agreement, okay? Especially if there's been a divorce and there are kids and and there may be assets and things that need to make sure end up with with, with the kids from the first marriage. I I understand that, don't don't miss what I'm saying here, okay? But most of the time, a a prenuptial agreement isn't needed. It's basically a document that says, my stuff is my stuff and it's always gonna be my stuff, but I love you. Just don't try to get my stuff. (laughs) I do. Got my prenup here, just in case. It's my stuff, Don't, don't, don't take my stuff. Don't think if this doesn't work, you're not gonna get my stuff. Number three, hedonism. This is a pleasure first, attitude will mess up your life or your marriage. Paul says people will love pleasure more than they'll love God. This is maybe what might be called the playboy philosophy of life. It's a, If it feels good, do it, forget morality, forget what's right, just do whatever feels good. A, a man wrote to Dear Abby and said, Dear Abby, I'm in love and having an affair with two different women. I can't marry them both, please tell me what I'm to do and don't give me any of that morality stuff. And her answer was super classy, quote, dear sir, the only difference between humans and animals is morality. Please write to a veterinarian. <laughs> thought that, was, that was pretty good. That's not, that's not a bad, bad answer to be straight up with you. There was a really interesting group of people uh, we find in scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 12 says, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe and their relatives. These men understood the signs of the times and they knew the best course for Israel to take. And beloved, Today, maybe more than ever, we need to be like these people from the tribe of Issachar. We we need to understand the times that we're living in, the culture that we're living in, the storm that is hitting our lives, our marriages, our business, and we need to, you know, how we need to know how we ought to respond as Christians, and how should we respond as Christians to this first storm, if you will, to this me first, money first, pleasure first culture. Well, I think what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 is a good place to start. He said, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. He wrote this 2,000 years ago. So obviously something was happening there culturally. But it's applicable to us today that in this thing called life here in the 21st century, storms of the culture changing are gonna hit our lives. And he says, "Don't, don't, don't copy them, but let... God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. In other words, it's the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. When when you change the way you think, this is the thing that protects you from that first storm. Yes, things around you might be changing. The longer you're alive, you're gonna see the culture change, but this is the thing that protects us from that When we just simply say, I'm gonna fill my mind, I'm gonna allow God to transform me by the word of God, by dwelling on the things of God, living out the, the things of God. Warren Worsby had this great quote. He said, when the people of God look into the word of God and see the glory of God, the spirit of God transforms them to be like the son of God. And I just thought that was just beautiful. When, when the people of God, you Christians, look into the Word of God and you see the glory of God, the Spirit of God then takes that and uses that to transform you into the Son of God or into the likeness of the Son of God. It's the Word of God, people. Number, um, n- number two or the second storm that you need to be prepared for, is you need to be prepared for the crisis storms that will hit your life, or will hit your marriage, or will hit your business, or whatever. I read a study this past week of the top 12 most stressful crises that a marriage can experience. And I thought about a number of you, and you've been through these things. Number 12 was the death of a close friend. Number 11 was being unemployed for over a month. And here in the Valley, here in Stanislaus County, boy, a lot of you experienced that during this economic crisis that we have been through. Number 10 was a major illness in the family, like like cancer or heart disease. Number nine is an unwanted pregnancy. Number eight was a court appearance. Number seven was a miscarriage. Number six, being fired or laid off. Number five, a business failure. Number four, a major financial difficulty like a bankruptcy or something like that. Number three was an unfaithful spouse. Number two was a a, a jail sentence. And number one, and this one really shocked me on how they got to this, was number one, the one most stressful thing is having to work with me. You know, that didn't work in any of the three hours, none of them, it it just didn't work. But you know what, I was committed to the joke, okay? And I I was gonna go with it, but just in case I ever do this message somewhere else, (laughs) do that, that didn't didn't work. (laughs) It is stressful to have to work with me. Um, You know what the number one thing is, and many of you have experienced this, the death of a child Boy, that really, that, that storm, when it hits your life or your family or your marriage, wow. Wow, it can do a lot of damage if you're not prepared for it. Now, some of these crises are, are inevitable. They will come into your life, they will come into your marriage, and most of them are going to come suddenly. They, they don't come with any warning, they just happen. Listen to what King David said in Psalm 69. He said, save me, O God, from the floodwaters, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I I sink into the mire. I I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for you to help me. And I know that some of you can relate to that, can't you? A crisis storm has hit your life. A crisis storm has hit your, your, your marriage. Maybe it's hit your business, and you feel like you're going under. You can relate to what King David is saying there. Well, what do you do? What do you do in a moment like that? Well, I shared this passage with you last week. The great prophet Isaiah said, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you you go through rivers of difficulty, you won't drown. Now the deal is, you feel like you're gonna drown. You feel like you're gonna go under. Obviously, King David, to get this sense that he, he felt like he was going under. I'm waiting on you, God, and I just feel like things are just overtaking me. The crises are hitting me. But the reality is, Christian, listen to me. Jesus lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You, Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. Listen, you may feel like you're going under, but you're not gonna go under, because God lives in you. Think back to when the disciples were on the boat And the waves started crashing over the boat. The storm breaks out on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are freaked out. They think they're going to die, and they wake Jesus up, and they said, Don't you care? We're going to die here. And you know what they forgot? Jesus was on that boat. You think he was going to let the boat sink and let everybody drown? He's on it. But they had forgotten about that. In the midst of a crisis, you can forget about the fact that Jesus lives in you. And you hang on to that great truth. Now, number three, the, uh, the third storm that you need to be pre- prepared for is uh, the life change storm. You see, change is a part of life. It's a big part of life. It's inevitable. Everything changes with time. Everything except God, He doesn't change. And one of the things that God did was in his word, the Bible, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible, he gave us a a great piece of information. He says this in Ecclesiastes three, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. God is telling us change is going to happen. Everything has a, a season, if you will and you need to be prepared for it. Because when it hits your life or hits your business or hits your marriage, man, it can wipe you out if you're not rooted in the word of God. There's the, the honeymoon stage of life. There's the childless couple stage of life. There's the decision whether to have children or not stage. There's the raising young children stage. There's the preschooler stage. There's the raising children through you know grade school change you know, stage. There's the parenting of teenager stage. And by the way, that one seems like it lasts forever. There's the college year you know, stage. The, the empty nest stage, the, the retirement stage. There's all these stages of life that we go through. It's amazing to me that you'll have a family that you saw all this great love. They had three kids, and, you know, they were two years apart, and the first one goes and graduates, and then the next one goes and graduates, and, you know, now they've been together for 25, 30 years, and now the last one's gone. And a husband and wife look at each other and go, who who are you? How'd you sneak in here? And all of a sudden, they don't have any children in the home anymore, it's just them. And that storm hits their marriage and they don't handle it very well. I can't tell you how many men I've talked to that you know they put in 50 years at some business and they're good at what they do but they had to retire and they got a gold watch and they walked out the door and they're lost. They still have value, they still feel like they could work at the job, and, 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 and now they're in this retirement moment. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so were they, to some degree. But they weren't prepared for everything that came at that moment, and they don't do well. Life is, is just full of changes. That storm will hit your life, whether you're married or you're single, and you have to be ready for that, that moment. One of the most common complaints I hear is, Pastor Rick, my spouse isn't, you know, isn't the, the person I married. And I always say, well, of course they're not, and neither and are you. You're not the, the person your spouse married because we're always changing. We're always growing, developing, and deteriorating we change, you know, emotionally as time goes on, praise the Lord. We change intellectually as time goes on. We, we change spiritually in our, our commitments as time goes on. We, we change physically, don't we, as time goes on. I have this picture of me when I, when I got married. <laughs> Man, I look good. Man, it's unbelievable. <laughs> that brown hair, brown mustache. Didn't have any hair growing out my ears or my nose. Back then, man, I had eyes like a hawk. I I I I could see things going on. Now I got to put these on. I still can't hardly see. I don't know what this is. I'm three. I think I think I'm three months along. I, don't, I don't, I'm not I'm not really sure what's going on here, but I, I just didn't look like this. Uh, I've, I've changed and so has my wife. We change, it's just a, a, it just happens. And so what a lot of people do is they go, oh man, my spouse changed and you, uh, I'm turning them in for a new model. They, they weren't ready, you see, for the storm that would hit their life. They hadn't built their life or their marriage on the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. And so when change happened, they, just, they were just ruined. House was ruined. Family was ruined. See, we're going to change, and you've got to be prepared f- for that. So you, you need to just make a, a commitment that, you know what, I'm going to love my spouse no matter what. They're going to change. They're not going to look the same. But you're changing too. So what's the secret of coping with the winds of change that come? Well, I think Paul gives us some really good advice. In Philippians chapter 4, he said, Hey, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances may be. I've learned no matter what, what changes might happen out there, I, I'm gonna be content right where I'm at. I'll be happy with what God has given me. I think the hardest commandment to obey for a believer is number 10. The whole idea of not coveting what your neighbor has, just being content with whatever it is that God has given you, being okay with that being okay with the, the, the hand, if you will, that God chose to deal to you. But we struggle with that. And here Paul is saying, man, I, I've just learned this, and I, I'm just gonna be content. Here's the deal, I guarantee you that the rains will come to try to somehow erode your personal life or your marriage. I I guarantee you that the flood waters will rise to somehow wash away the foundation of your life or your marriage. I guarantee you that the winds will blow to try to somehow shake the structure of your life or marriage, which means you have to have a good foundation. In fact, it's the key to living a life that honors God and it's the key to having a great marriage. Having the right foundation is absolutely critical. Jesus said, those that hear these words of mine and then they put them into practice. When the winds come, and the rains come, and the winds come, and the streams rise. Oh, you, 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 you'll, you'll have to repair a few things here and there, but your house will be standing. Your, your, your life will still be standing. Your marriage will still be standing. It'll still be there. And maybe for all of us, you know, who know Christ, maybe today is a great moment over in the venue, watching online, those of you in here, maybe what we need to do is just, examine ourselves and say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I certainly have gotten away from this. I'm not really building my life on this anymore. And maybe today is a day of repentance, where you say, God, I'm repenting of my sin. I've been doing things my way. Somehow I became the CEO of my own life, and that's your job. I'm gonna gonna put you and your word back in charge and you repent of your sin today. For some of you, you've never given your life to Christ, never, and maybe today is a day you say, you know what, I need to make Jesus and his word the foundation of my life, and you could go into the altar room here or the altar room over in the venue, and one of our pastors or elders or spiritual leaders of our church will be in there, and they'd love to share with you how you can invite Jesus into your life and allow him to begin to transform you through his word. Uh, I got a neat email from an elder last night, a gal went in there just bawling, I need Christ. I've never heard a message like this before, I need Jesus in my life and in my marriage and all that kind of stuff. And that's what you could do, you could go in there, maybe you don't own a Bible, you could go into the altar room and we would love to give you a Bible if you don't own one. Hard to build your life on something if you don't even have it in your hands. And so give us the, the, the privilege and the honor of, of, of maybe giving you your first Bible. And, and here's the deal, for those of you that are single, yeah, I talked about your own personal life, but I also hammered home marriage. Let me just tell you something. You know, in, a, in the United States of America, this is still a place where you get to make a choice as to who you wanna marry. You get to make that choice. And what are the two words I always share with you? Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. Is the person that you're dating or the person that's asked you out, whether it's the guy or the gal, is, is this the foundation of their life? I'm always amazed, 30 something years of doing this, free country. You get to choose. I'm always amazed at the choices that some people make. I go, really? You get to choose, and that's who you're choosing? I'd rather jab a pencil in my eye and, <laughs> and be single the rest of my life than to be with some, someone with, with, with that character or whatever. But you know what? Yeah, you're free. It's a free country. You can marry whoever you want. Hey, Choose wisely. This ought to be a message for those of you that are single that want to be married someday. Or maybe you're dating someone right now. Are you beginning to build your life and your marriage, this future marriage, on on the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible? Are you? Or is it just kind of a Sunday thing? You know, he comes on Sunday or she comes on Sunday. No, 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 come on. Over in the venue, wanted to stand. Everybody in here, stand. Father, thank you, Lord, for today and man, last night. I've just really enjoyed this whole weekend, and I'm thankful for our worship team. Man, just great people. Pastor Scott and Tim and Jared, Pastor Brandon. Lord, thank you for all of them and their hard work, and just really grateful for the 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 team of volunteers that make a an event like. The fight night just be so special, Lord. I'm thankful, God, for a chance where we can gather in fellowship and we can together sing and give and hear your word preached. And I pray, Lord, that as people leave here today, God, that somehow you would use this message, God, in in a way that uh, would kind of rattle around in their minds all week. They think about some of these principles that they'd find time this week to keep their nose in the word of God, Lord. Thanks for your goodness to us, and I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, Lord bless you. Live for Jesus.